When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Clear Out Podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts and hosted by me, Matt Brooks, content creator, Nets reporter, film guy, whatever you know me as, uh, that's who I am. Popped on Twitter and Reddit a couple of days ago, essentially asking for questions for this mailbag, if you can't tell already by reading uh, the title of this podcast. Yes, I'm answering a bunch of Nets questions related to all sorts of things, Coaching, preseason, Ben Simmons, you name it. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more kind of how we're going to section this out. Um, but but yeah, just first off, wanted to say thank you everybody for asking questions. It's given me a lot to talk about and I expect this episode to be pretty long. Um, it also gives me an opportunity to preview a lot of things that I haven't touched on. If you want more of my work, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I've done a bunch of threads, um, articles, kind of relating to what I've seen from the Nets so far. Again, a lot of this is based on preseason. I'm recording this on the day of the Nets' first game against the Pelicans, so won't have any thoughts on that necessarily. I do expect to do some content on that game. I don't know what that'll look like. Maybe it's just a thread, but yeah, I mean, if you if you want more of, of my stuff, my thoughts, whether it's written or, or whatever video, again, whatever I come up with, uh, Twitter is the place to find me. So, yeah, um, first, gonna kind of, sorry, I'm already overheating, um, gonna first go into kind of what we're looking at. I've sectioned this out, I've got a lot of questions on a lot of different things, and I think if I just answer them randomly, it's gonna kind of sound all over the place, so section these out. Some questions are pretty similar to others, so I'm just gonna kind of read who asked the question and, and sort of summarize, I guess you know, what that question is asking if two questions are similar. Um, but let's let's get into uh, the first section, which I thought was important um, and kind of relative to what I've talked about here in the intro, which is preseason. So uh, my guy D-Rock from Twitter at uh, D underscore rock underscore in underscore B-K-L-Y-N. What specifically did Nash, Steve Nash, implement on both sides of the ball for these four important ex- exhibition games? Um I like that you included that these games were important because I think the Nets viewed the preseason similarly. Like there was just a lot more structure in place and like effort <laughs> um, holistically. So in terms of what I liked, I wrote about this twice for Nets Daily and I, I just put a thread together on my Twitter kind of just, I guess, outlining some of the changes we've seen thus far. But uh, we'll start with the offense. I thought there was just way more nuance in terms of what the Nets were doing offensively. Like, they're running different sets, sure. They're running, you know, I'm not going to get too nerdy with it, but, like, 
Spain pick and roll, Veer action. Uh, there's just like a bunch of different things that we haven't seen in past years. They're also running sets that we have seen in past years that make a lot of sense for the stars, which I have a question that kind of gets into that a little bit later. Um, but just certain sets that make sense for KD uh, in terms of what he can do off the ball, certain sets that make sense for Kyrie in terms of what he can do off the ball. I think some of the stuff they're doing with Ben Simmons in terms of using him as a, a handoff hub, I guess, that stuff makes a lot of sense. But the biggest thing for me is the way they're layering everything. You know, it's not just like last year where the Nets would take the ball down and they'd and you'd know like right away what they're running. They'd run like Chicago action, which is a pin down into a dribble handoff. And that would be it. There wouldn't be any movement on the weak side. There wouldn't be any, you know, movement that was meant to get the defense kind of wrong-footed beforehand. Like, they just run in straight into the primary action with nothing nothing kind of hiding it, I guess, in a sense. Versus this year, they'll run a couple of screens. They might even run a pick-and-roll before they get into the actual action that they want to run. Uh, maybe there's a screen after that, so they'll run you know, Chicago action. And then on the weak side, they'll have like a flare screen or something like that. Like there's just more going on before and after the main course, I guess, of their offensive sets. And I I just think that's smart. I knew that was going to be the case with Igor coming into this. He's just like a master of having all five players involved at the same time in the half court. So I think holistically from a macro sense, I've really liked that. From a micro sense, I do like a lot of the new sets they're implementing, but it's really, it's the macro stuff for me where there's just more movement. There's more involvement between all five players. And, you know, given how the roster is right now, I think that's about as smart as you can be. Defensively, I actually have enjoyed what they're doing. They're not so cut and dry this year, right? Like the first year of the of the 7-Eleven era, uh, when Harden, especially when Harden got brought in, they were just so switch heavy. And I think part of that is just, that's the best scheme for somebody like James Harden. Um, and they were a new team, which I'm sure Nash has said about a thousand times. Uh, but they were, they were a new team it was kind of like a lot of moving pieces going on. And for whatever reason, that's what they went with that year. The next year, obviously they're a little bit more of a drop team, especially with guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, getting minutes early in the season, who's really best used in drop. Uh, they had guys like Bruce Brown and DeAndre Bembry on the roster, two really, really good screen navigators um, that could stay with really quick creators, uh, like Trey Young, for example. Um, so that year, you know, they came in, they're running a lot of drop, and, and they were pretty rigid with that. There were certain games, I remember the first Warriors game at Barclays, where they got the shit kicked out of them, honestly. Um, a lot of that was because they were running, <laughs> they would run drop against Steph Curry, and then they tried to switch LaMarcus Aldridge on Steph Curry, and that didn't go well. This year, it's a little different. There's just a lot more detail in terms of how they're diversifying their coverages. They're switching when it makes sense, whether that's on the ball or off the ball. Um, if it's on ball, if it's on a pick and roll, they're really only switching if the guy that's getting screened really gets nailed by the screen. If it's like kind of a soft screen, they're just going to have that guy fight over, especially if it's somebody like Ben Simmons or, or Royce O'Neal, somebody like that. Um, and, you know, even just some of their primary coverages are a little different. They're icing pick and rolls a little bit more, which is something I wrote about this week. Um, you know, sending guys down the sideline and, and using their bigs and help defenders to kind of make it a team-wide holistic effort. So 
Yeah, overall, I've, I've liked what they've done on both sides of the ball. This is going to be a little bit of a longer answer compared to some of the other questions, but I just think it's really important to kind of outline what we're looking at so far from the Nets. And I'm really, I've been impressed so far, if I'm being honest with you. Um, can you touch on the Nets defense on Giannis specifically last night? This is from at Sync 22 on Twitter uh, with Simmons on him as the primary and then having the wingspans of KD and Claxton lurking help sides. Uh, help side Giannis for the first time in forever didn't look like he would drop 50 on the Nets in his sleep. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I do. Uh, if you can't tell, some of these questions I asked for like right after the Bucks game, so there is going to be some reference to that. But um, I liked it. I you know I think you nailed it with the idea that having those extra wingspans on the weak side really helps versus having KD and Claxton as your primary guys. The Nets just profile so much bigger, and I really like the matchup against the Bucks this year, which is something I have not said really ever, I actually think it's one of the most favorable matchups for the Nets in the Eastern Conference. Um, You know, and I I will say, like, one last thing is that I think in having, especially KD, on the weak side as that help guy, um, and having him guard somebody like Brooke Lopez is such a double-pronged win. Two-pronged? Two-pronged sounds better. Uh, A two-pronged win for the Nets. Because A, he's a great weak side help guy and he can help Ben if, if Giannis beats him off, you know, whatever, if he beats him with sheer speed or or physicality. But B, it also kind of fools the Bucks into taking more Brooke Lopez threes, which I think is a huge win for the Nets. And they've been looking for that shot from the Bucks really since the second round series two years ago. So I think it's 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 just a really good matchup for the Nets this year, and I, I like what they're doing with it. I think that, that just the makeup of the team makes a lot more sense for that specific opponent. Um, last question. This is just a summarizing one, I guess. Uh, this is user SSJ3Pretzel, who has asked me questions before for sure on these mailbag episodes. How are you feeling after watching the preseason games? Dude, I feel good, man. Um, you know, this year's Nets team is really different for me. Um, because I think in previous years you watch them, especially that first year and you're just like, all right, this team is just going to sort of out talent, you know, other, other opponents. Um, and they're just going to be relying on like three guys getting hot, three of the best scorers in the world, getting hot at different times. And they're going to win games that way. And it doesn't really matter what else happens. That's how I always felt watching the Nets that first year with Harden, Kyrie and KD. Like it, they were just so much better than opponents. It really didn't matter what they did. Um, this year's a lot different. I think from a structural perspective, the what the coaching staff has put in place, it just is a different vibe. Like, I don't think they need to rely on heat checks from Kyrie and KD all the time. Now, granted, they can coast off that. We saw that against Minnesota. Like, they can blow teams out with that still. Don't worry. But... There's just a lot more in place that I think is sustainable in a way, and they have multiple ways of winning now, which is why I'm really high on the Nets. I said it in the last podcast that I did, which was the season preview. Um, I think this team can easily go to the finals. I, I think their road will matter a lot in terms of who they play in the playoffs, but just the way this team is in terms of all the things that they have in place already and and just the amount of coaching that there appears to be compared to previous years, um, I just, I'm impressed. 
I, I do really feel like it's a more sustainable method of success and uh, systematically there's just more to rely on in a way. Let's switch over to Ben Simmons. I got a couple of questions starting with uh, user backslash the maker 75 from Reddit. I think Simmons free throw shooting was not as bad as the percentages indicated. Uh, 16.7%. Ouch. The form looked decent enough though. Most of them were long off the back of the rim. If he doesn't improve his free throw shooting are the Nets toast. If he can't drive to the rim, how does he create offense for Sharp and Claxton? Not to mention his attempts near the rim seem like he closes his eyes and hope the shot goes in. His passing and defense have been great though. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to try not to get into the Ben Simmons shoots with the wrong hand thing, though I do kind of subscribe to that theory. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't lean on him to be a free throw shooter. And I do think that like his aversion to taking free throws could be incredibly problematic against playoff teams and, and, and in big games. I just, if, if he's this bad of a free throw, I mean, he's not going to be like 16.7%, but if he's in like the 50s or like low 60s, I just don't feel great about that, and I do think that that's going to take away from some of his rim finishes. Like, even in the preseason, there was a possession where he got by his defender, and then he did, like, an up and under instead of just going through contact. And I'm like, dude, you're 6'11", and, like, the biggest player on the floor right now. Like, you (laughs) you shouldn't be doing up and unders. And I think that's just a fear of taking contact because it's going to send him to the line. Um... So that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on. I, I just, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect the free throw shooting to be a plus for him. I'll put it that way. Um, and if he's not driving to the rim, I, I agree. I don't know what you do with Sharp and Claxton unless they're setting like screens on the weak side. And even that doesn't really matter if you're not getting into the paint. Like if you're setting a hammer screen, which is basically a screen to create an open three-point shot, you're going to want a guy driving down the other side of the court so that you can create that passing angle to get the, the pass to the corner three. If you're not getting that, then I, I that's just kind of a pointless screen that the defense can ignore. Like, it, you do need to get downhill at some point. And outside of Kyrie Irving, I think that, you know, let's be honest, like Simmons is their guy to do that. And if that's not happening in the half court, then I don't know what it looks like. Um, and the, I guess the last thing I should mention is the, the floater Keeping an eye on it, he's, I think he went, I tracked that he was one for three in the preseason. Uh, it looks good when it goes in, but, you know, the accuracy is really going to depend, and we'll see how long he takes that shot before either he scraps it or the coaching staff is like, hey, this is just, like, not a good look for you. Um, I would doubt the coaching staff would do that. I think they want to get Ben doing as much as possible offensively outside of just taking right-handed layups, so... I think that's something we'll see for a while. But with Ben, we know he doesn't like to do things that he's not fully comfortable with. Um, I think that's probably the most politically correct way to put it. So, yeah, um, I'm a little... If you can't tell, I'm like a little worried. That's that's an understatement. I'm I'm pretty worried about the half-court stuff for Ben. As, as good as I think he could be this year. Um, that will always be something I keep an eye on. And something especially I'm watching for in the playoffs. Uh, another Ben question. How much do you think Ben and Claxton's free throw and offensive game will improve over the season? This is from at KDLova7. Uh, can we expect 65 to 70%? I, I'm going to assume the 65 to 70 is the free throw percentage. From Nick, I mean, maybe. Um, ben, I'm pretty tepid on in terms of what he can do from the free throw line. 
Offensive game, I mean, I guess Ben would be the floater coming along. Um, I'm just, I'm tempering all expectations with Ben in terms of like what he's going to do as a scorer. Like I just, if he just plays defense and he makes plays in transition and they use him in the short roll, maybe as a cutter, like I'm good. I'm, I think that's about as good as you can get. I just, you know, what is he in year, I mean, he's in year five, but he's 25. I don't know. How much improvement are you really going to get from him at this point? Especially on a team like this with such, you know, sharp championship expectations. Especially with, you know, a trade request hanging over them. I don't know. I'm a little, I'm not quite sure about that. And then Claxton is like, is he going to be able to post up mismatches? That's like the main thing I see with him. And again, that too is like, I've never, he we've seen flashes and stretches where he's got that nice little turnaround hook game, but it hasn't been something that's been like a fulcrum of his offensive game. So I guess I'd say at Claxton, I feel a little better about, but even that is like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. I just think Claxton's a little more aggressive. Ben is, I think as we've seen, not totally aggressive and you need to bring that out of him. This is at Jim Staggs. Uh, oh, I like this question a lot. Which East defense is best equipped to take away, take advantage of Simmons's half court weaknesses on offense? I think Boston for sure, just because they're a very switch-heavy team. Uh, You saw it in the first game. They're going to keep their weaker defenders out of mismatches. They were doing that quite a bit with Blake Griffin, pre-switching him. Um, They're just a really good defensive team. And I think that team, maybe more than anyone, just because we've seen it in last year's playoffs, is the group that's going to say, hey, like we don't really care what Ben does offensively if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Like We're going to give him the Bruce Brown treatment when he rolls or or whatever, or when he's cutting, like we just, we don't care. We we don't think that you guys have the passing equity to make passes to him if he's cutting. We certainly don't really care what he does outside of three feet. Like that's the team I get worried about. And I also worry about, hey, like if, if Simmons, you know, gets a, a post up against a mismatch, maybe it's against like Derek White, we don't really think he's going to punish Derek White with his scoring. Like, we know he's going to pass out of that or try to find, you know, Kyrie or somebody like that on a split cut, which is just two guys screening for each other and then splitting apart while one guy posts up. Like, we think that Ben is so pass-first, we kind of don't care what matchups we give him defensively. So that's the stuff I really worry about because we we know Boston is like the cream of the crop defensively in this league. They really are. I think them, Golden State, those type of teams scare me. But in the East, for sure, Boston. Um, and 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 we know like if if they're not showing Ben Simmons the respect offensively or defensively, um, that means they're sending multiple defenders at somebody like KD, which is a problem because you need KD to play better in that potential matchup. Uh, this is from user low dash exam. 1208 from Reddit. How do you think Ben Simmons will hold up as a center? How many minutes should he see at that position? Um, I think he'll be fine. I, I see it more as like a closing lineup type of thing. I wouldn't rely upon it a ton, but I think the idea with Simmons at center is you surround him with as much shooting on the other end and maybe one of the stars. And offensively, you just outweigh the deficiencies on defense. Like that... That would be kind of my look at that. How many minutes? I mean, like 12 to 15. I I just don't think you can like lean on it a ton because he's not a shot blocker per se. 
Like he's not going to be this, you know, guy that's going to deny stuff in drop coverage. Um, he's got a pretty short wingspan for his height. I think it's he's six eleven. His wingspan is seven feet. So again, he doesn't profile as a shot blocker. He's more of a, a perimeter guy, and you're going to be switching everything on defense. So yeah, um, I think you can survive, but it, it really depends on what you're getting offensively. This this answer, by the way, fits perfectly with the next question, which is from user Ugg Whatever Man on Reddit. Um, and it says, how should Ben Simmons be utilized against a long, switch-heavy team like the Celtics? I think my answer from the last question relates to this perfectly because I'm using Ben as a center a lot more in that matchup just because you don't want multiple non-shooters sharing the floor in clacks and Ben Simmons or Ben Simmons and Dayron Sharper, whoever it really is, or even Simmons and Mark Keith Morris, who frankly is a question mark um, as an outside shooter. So I'd want him at center against that team for two reasons. A, they can't load up, you know, one side of the floor, especially if KD has it, or if they're running, if the Nets are running KD off the ball, they can't send multiple defenders at him. Um, I mean, I guess they could, but like it hurts a little bit less. Um, versus if you have Ben sharing the floor with Claxton. B, as we've seen so far, based on the the opener, the Celtics don't really have a strong center rotation. I'm certainly not penciling in Robert Williams as a guy that's going to play for them this year. I'm really not sure I'm ready to go there. Um, Them saying he's not going to play really until the second half makes me a little bit nervous for Boston at the very least. Um, and makes me wonder like, hey, this there's a real chance he doesn't contribute anything this year and doesn't play this year. It just seems like that's that situation's a lot worse than they let on. So if you're going against Noah Vonley or whoever they get in terms of trades or or the buyout market, um you know, if it's like a Noah Vonley type, I feel pretty good about Ben Simmons at center in that specific spot. So yeah, so I think that's what I would do. It wouldn't even be like utilization. It would just be more of, I want him to be the only non-shooter on the floor. This is another one from Lova 7 on Twitter. Uh, how do you feel about Ben's off-ball game in the dunker spot and without the ball? It's been fine. Um... You know, yeah, he's he hasn't been in the dunker spot as much as he maybe was in Philly. Um, I guess in terms of little things, I'd want to see him cut a little bit more. So cutting along the baseline, cutting from the wings on those what are called 45 cuts or slot cuts, where he's just basically cutting from the three-point line to the rim uh, and dragging away weak side defenders and and or getting layups or dunks from that way. That was something that, that Bruce Brown did a lot as a net, especially initially, um, you know, before they had Harden. So I like that idea a lot. I, I think that using him as your Bruce Brown is the smartest way to do that. Um, and then also like just set screens off ball, more exit screens, more hammer screens that I just described. Both of those are generating corner three-point shots. The Nets have lots of corner three-point shooters. Uh, and Royce O'Neal, of course, KD and Kyrie are good at corner threes. Uh, Seth Curry is good at corner threes. Like if you can just use him as a screener away from the action setting flares, he's a really good screener. Really, really good. And I've been impressed with his screening a lot. So uh, yeah, just using him in that way and using his big frame to 
create looks for teammates is a good way to do this. Um, man, I got a lot of questions about trades. That's the next section here. I'm going to be real with you. I'm just going to read the names of people that ask questions and I'm going to just try to give one clear answer to everything because there's just a lot of overlap, but I, I don't know. It's going to take forever. <laughs> um, so uh, th- all the questions are from user backslash Cobra on, on Reddit at uh, Durant735 asked a question on Twitter at uh, STS. Saint Seed? Is that how I say? I don't know. S yeah, I think I'm gonna just go with at Saint Seed from Twitter asked a question. Uh and then at the Antidote 2 asked a question about trades. Alright, we got one more. Um user number one Kenobi. That's pretty cool. Uh from Reddit asked a question. So alright. Kind of relates to this idea. Cobra from Reddit asked it. Nets Twitter is in love with the idea of a stretch big. Does this team need one? And then Durant735 asked about needing a secondary playmaker. I think I'm holding off on the secondary playmaking for now just because of how much movement the Nets are incorporating. Um, I like Ben Simmons doing things, you know, in terms of like the playmaking that he gives. I've enjoyed it so far. I think he's added a lot with his quick decision-making I think you can get enough from Kyrie and KD and pick and roll. I wouldn't make it one of your primary sources of offense, and the Nets have not done that. They're not this really pick and roll heavy team like we saw against the Celtics last year in the playoffs. Like They've diversified their looks a lot. I think you can get away with not having a, whatever, like a Goran Dragic type off the bench for now. Um, I do think that a stretch big could help a lot. As I mentioned before, I worry about certain teams like the Celtics that are going to ignore, you know, lineups where Claxton and Simmons share the floor. I, I am concerned about that. So I think the idea of getting a stretch big is really good. I, I'll be honest, and I, I do think that the draft sweepstakes really helped the Nets this year in terms of, let's say it's February, and the the Pacers have been flirting with the Lakers all year about this idea of getting Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. The Lakers are like, yeah, we could do that, but do we really think Miles Turner and Buddy Heald are going to push us over the top with Anthony Davis and LeBron and I guess like Kendrick Nunn at point guard? Because <laughs> I don't know when Schroeder's going to play. Like, do we really think that makes us a championship team? Or are we like, yeah, we're probably like a maybe a fun second round team that doesn't go anywhere. And then we've traded all of our picks after LeBron, you know, either goes to another team or retires. Like, I think there's a world where the Lakers are just like, we care more about our future in a way, even though we have LeBron right now. Um, I do, We don't really feel like that move puts us over the top. If that is the case. And the Pacers are like, well, shit, we struck out with... <laughs> The Lakers, we couldn't get those very valuable, whatever they are, 27, what is it, 2027, 2028 picks. Um, You know, maybe we need to turn elsewhere. And then I think you become kind of interesting. You know, maybe the Nets are like, we want Miles Turner. And by the way, if there's anybody I like for the Nets, um, it's it's my, I'm, I'm in on the Miles Turner thing. I know it's not creative or new or whatever. Like it, it is, I just like the fit a lot. Uh, I think... He's a great shot blocker, obviously. Um, gives you quite a bit in drop, you know, especially with the way Nets are icing those screens and using drop coverage. I think that fits pretty well. 
Um, you know, and then just offensively, he gives you enough as a shooter. He's not like a great, great shooter, but I do think he gives you enough and he at least makes you occasionally respect him from three, which is better than not having anything at all. So I think what it would cost the Nets, um, and that's what number one Kenobi asked, was, you'd probably be looking at Joe Harris, um, who <laughs> I'll get into later, but a bit of a mystery right now. Maybe one or two of the prospects. Obviously, doing multiple players in a deal is tough because the team receiving has to make cuts and wave players or, or make a secondary trade. So it would maybe be one of the prospects, maybe like a Cam Thomas, who would get a little more opportunity in a place like Indiana, and then a pick or two. And, you know, that might be a little shy of what the, the Pacers' demands are right now. But if they're like at the deadline... And, and they're kind of thinking, shit, we didn't really get that trade that we thought we would get with the Lakers, and there isn't a ton on the market right now because we're running out of time. We'll just take this deal with the Nets where maybe we don't win wholesale, but we get you know a, a promising young player that we like and a pick, and then maybe we can reclaim Joe Harris's value and, and, and flip him later. Like I think, I think that's certainly on the table for the Nets. Obviously, a lot of things have to go right for them in terms of the suitors not being there in terms of time being on their side but I think that's a a reasonable outcome that I could see happening uh two more questions um user underscore dim one thoughts on acquiring Derek Favors I mean uh, what I don't know I don't love it (laughs) I I guess that's probably my answer I'm a little worried he's done and the only reason why is that he's like the first guy that I feel like the the Thunder have gotten over the last couple of years. Like the Thunder have done this thing where they'll bring in older vets and they'll try to like reclaim their value and then trade them later down the line. So they did that with like Chris Paul, for example. Um, they did that with Al Horford. And I feel like they did that with Derek Favors and got nothing from it, you know? So in terms of like featuring him in a role. So... That makes me a little bit nervous in a way, like that that they couldn't even get anything from him. They, you know, he was just waived. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't love that. I guess in a sense. So yeah, I'm not super high on that. I I don't think he moves the needle for you like crazy. Um, and then the last one is at Forever Shook. What number is Mo Bamba gonna wear? Yo, Nets Twitter loves Mo Bamba, which is <laughs> which is fine. I get it. Uh, the shooting is nice. You guys are a lot higher than me on him defensively. The He's a little foul happy, and I don't know. I don't, like, trust his rim protection a ton. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not the worst. Like, it's not the worst fit for the Nets. I'm just maybe not over the moon in the way that some of you guys are. I'd prefer somebody like Miles Turner, even if it costs more. So we're going to get into some questions about rotations, starting with the way the stars were staggered in the preseason. For the most part, um, Kyrie and KD were tied together. And that's been kind of the case for most of the 7-11 era, for whatever reason. Maybe those guys just like request to play together. I don't know. Um, And then that meant a lot of minutes with Ben kind of being the solo star. So... Uh, Toadish on Twitter and Paris Java from Reddit kind of asked questions uh, that were pretty similar with regards to what the effectiveness of those rotations were. Uh, Toadish made the point that 
Simmons-led Chicago DHO sets, those handoff sets felt less effective without playmakers like Kyrie and KD. Um, So could that open up more on-ball opportunities for somebody like Royce O'Neal or Cam Thomas coming off those pin downs? Um, And then Paris Java made the point that um, he, he or they kind of felt like those lineups would look a little bit better with Seth Curry as the ball handler instead of Patty. So I'll kind of address these all together. I, I do, I agree that I think somebody like Seth Curry adds a little bit more than Patty Mills, who just like looks a step slower and in general just isn't as much of a creator. I feel Seth Curry coming off those two dribble pull-ups a little bit better if he's run off the line. I think he's a little bit better of a floor mapper than Patty. I, I do think he's better in that spot. Um, Royce O'Neal coming off DHO sets. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's better than Joe Harris. I don't love it, to be honest with you. Cam, it kind of depends on his progression. I think I have a couple questions coming up later that we'll get into that. I think the the thing I really want to see is them for, for the Nets to break up Kyrie and KD in this setting. I like KD tied with Ben a lot. I can also see Kyrie working there just fine. But KD is just... I don't know. He's a better passer than Kyrie to me. And I think that matters for somebody like Ben. You want to get Ben on the move, whether he's screening for KD uh, or or he's setting an off-ball screen while somebody while KD posts up. Um, I, I just like KD's ability to pass. Where a lot of that is just related to his size at near seven feet. He can just see more of the floor. Uh, so yeah, I think that would be how it's separated. But I do agree. I think somebody like Seth Curry comes in and makes an immediate impact over Patty Mills in a lot of ways, but especially in terms of creating for himself. And then if if Cam comes along, yeah, I like that. I like him coming off a DHO set because, you know, A, he's pretty dynamic with the ball in hand. He's good from maybe, maybe, maybe elbow jumpers inward, but certainly coming into like floater range and then at the rim, he can start drawing more fouls. I like it, but it, it kind of depends on his progression this year. Uh, at Durant735 asks, how and where do you think Seth and TJ fit in this new rotation? As I said already, I think he immediately comes in and is an improvement over Patty Mills. So if you're watching the preseason, you're saying, wow, this Nets team is really good. Um, imagine how they look with Seth Curry in Patty Mills's spot. And imagine how Seth Curry looks coming off curls where he's creating a little bit more room. He's a little bit more dynamic off, off, uh, off the three-point line if he's run off. So... Yeah, I think that fits well. TJ, oh man, I look, I love what TJ Warren can be. I think he can be that off-the-bench six-man gunner type of player. I love the way he is off ball. I did a big video this summer on how good he can be. I'm not penciling TJ Warren in for anything right now. In the same way that I just talked about Robert Williams, look, man, they're not evaluating him until November, and that doesn't mean that he is going to come back in November. That's them saying, we're going to shelf you till November, and then we're going to see kind of where you're at. And there's a chance he needs more time. There's a chance that he's, you know, he's closer to ready. Then they have to ramp him up for a month and get him back to, like, being able to play five-on-five, five five, get his conditioning there. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to see him. I, I don't have any, like, insight on this. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him until after the All-Star break. And then at that point, the Nets might have their rotation set. And bringing a guy in like that who is could pit, struggle a little bit, he might have a little bit of a shorter leash because of that. Because this team is like, hey, we want to just we don't want to be experimenting at this point. We want to know who we are. So I'm not like penciling him in for anything 
this year, realistically. That's just how I'm looking at it. Um, HM, uh, H-M-I-T-R-A-K-A Allen, uh, this is from Twitter, asks, who will complete the rotation until Seth, Harris, TJ are back? Uh, he says, what about Edmund Summer, Sumner? Uh, and then will Royce secure the starting role even if Joe comes back? Uh, my big hot take this year that is really not that hot at this point, especially with the way Joe is... Well, I'll say the Joe thing right now. Boy, I mean, don't love that he's, you know, missing preseason games and there's vague timelines with him already. You know, even if it is just foot soreness uh, from him coming back after an extended layoff. I mean, Ben Simmons isn't having random soreness, you know? Like, he hasn't played in a year and a half, you know? And... He seems fine. He's able to get on the floor. There's no issues. Joe is, you know, it's been, it, it kind of feels like he might be the guy this year that he'll look good for a bit and then, you know, he won't play for a while because of soreness or whatever. Like, I, I'm starting to wonder if he's going to be like the new Alan Crab, which I know makes people probably get a little gun shy, but I'm concerned right now. I'm definitely concerned. Um... I just don't like the vagueness of how his injuries being handled already. That makes me a little bit nervous. So I do think Royce secures the starting job. Even if Joe comes back and he's 100%, I just think Royce, Royce is more dynamic. He can move up and down the positional scale more defensively. Offensively, he's a better passer. Um, he's a little better with the ball in his hands. You can occasionally run pick and roll with him and he'll do something good with it. I think he's a better finisher in transition and just in a crowded pate. I, I just like him a little bit more. Um, completing the rotation, I mean, they kind of have to play Patty because they need shooting. I've liked what Yuta's given them. He's just a gap filler. And then Sumner, I don't have a great feel for, but yeah, I mean, he's a gunner. Like, you know what you're going to get from him. Uh, and and you might, it might not be a consistent source of offense, but he's a gunner. He's a guy that might make a little bit of sense next to Ben Simmons if they're going to do those solo star lineups with Ben as the only guy out there because he can create for himself a little bit. So, you know, I, I guess he's kind of competing with the Cam Thomas uh, part of this rotation more than, you know, maybe Seth Harris or TJ, all of whom are more of your shooting, I guess, in a sense. So I don't know if that answers the question fully, but it, it's kind of patty. <laughs> and then Yuda, if, if you can get enough shooting from him. Uh, quite, speaking of Yuda, wow. Um, user underscore dim one, do you think Yuda has shown enough to overtake Kess in the rotation order? Absolutely. I love his rebounding. You know, we, he's a multi-positional defender, shows a ton of effort. I like his impact off ball. Um, good at, good at you know, stunting down to the nail. I, I just trust him to be in help position. Kess has looked good in isolation defensively. The offense is a question mark, and I've said it before on this podcast, I think Kessler Edwards is a second or third team guy in that he's really going to break out in a different situation where there's less pressure you know, whether it's a, I don't know, Indiana, <laughs> who I just mentioned. Uh, it's a place like that where he just doesn't have this huge spotlight on him. His minutes aren't kind of conditional where it depends on how he plays. Like he knows he's going to get a certain set of minutes and he has more room to make mistakes. That's who Kessler Edward feels like to me. He's like the polar opposite from Cam Thomas where it's like you need to scale back the <laughs> Cam's confidence. Kess is, you kind of want a little more in that category. But yeah, you does look great. A uh, couple questions about the backup five uh, related to, well, I guess I'll just read it. Uh, you, K. Willie, 
462 from Reddit asks, who should be our backup five, Morris or Sharp? Um, I think it depends on matchup. Um, and and I'll, I guess I'll segue into this. Uh, you, Paris, Java, do you think Sharp is ready to be the backup five? Or will the Nets opt to use Morris and Yuta more in that small ball five role? I don't know about Yuta. That feels sketchy. I'd really just kind of go with Ben Simmons at the five at that point. Um, but Sharp, yeah, because you know what? I'll, I'll start here. I'm going to clear out a little bit, fittingly, uh, to use the name of this podcast. I kind of liked Dayron Sharp in the preseason. I think there have been all the things that he did well last year. His passing is awesome. Just awesome at his position. I really like the screening and rolling. I, I thought there were interesting moments where they'd use him in veer sets, and, and those are sets that you can't do with Claxton as much because A, he's not a great screener, and B, he's just not like, he's not a natural screener. Whether it just comes down to simple screening fundamentals or knowing when to screen or how to screen or who to screen, he's just, he's still kind of working on that part of his game. Sharp right away is like a screener. Like he's going to be your Kevon Looney type where, you know, they again, he they used him in veer sets where he would set a pick and roll ball screen and then set a screen elsewhere, set a pin down for somebody, you know, whether it's one of the stars coming off that pin down. He's just really familiar of how to be a hub in the offense and how to use his body in that way. And and these are things he's done really well in terms of ever since he got to Brooklyn. He's still doing those things well, which you want. Um, I thought defensively he looked a little better. He looked a little better. He's definitely going to be a drop center. Um, and how good he can be in that role really depends. I think, and I've said this pretty much, I think, since they drafted him. I think on the low end, he's like an Enos Cantor, who, by the way, had like, what, a 10-year career? Like, I, we laugh at Enos Cantor because of a lot of different reasons. But like, yeah, he had a 10-year career. There were years where he wasn't I mean, he was never good defensively, but he was like passable in certain spots, I guess. I think Sharp can be a little bit better than that because his hands are really quick. Um, you know, I think his awareness can can come along a little bit farther than Cantor's. He might be a slightly better athlete in terms of at least his second leap, maybe. But I, I you know, I see those guys kind of being on the same scale of defenders, largely. Um, and I think Sharp's looked a lot better in drop this year so far, just based on the preseason uh, he doesn't trip on his feet as much. Positionally, he's in the right spots. He's a lot better at corralling the ball handler and the roller, keeping both of those guys in front, which is what you want to do and drop. He just looks a little more comfortable. I, you know, in terms of other schemes, I don't think he's going to be a switch big. I just don't know if the foot speed is there, nor really the mobility. You could maybe get him to hedge here and there. The Nets have not been a team that hedges a ton with their bigs historically. So that kind of, to me, is a question of, do they even want to do that? They're certainly not doing that in the preseason. So I, yeah, I mean, I think as a drop center, he could be fine. He could be fine for a backup center. And I think that's probably his long-term trajectory is as a backup in this league. It all depends on how he looks defensively this year. So if he shows enough, yeah, I think he can take the backup five role at least for a while until they get reinforcements at the deadline or a buyout center. I think you can survive with him, but you know it really depends on the defense. Because ultimately, for me, when I'm looking at centers, I care the most about defense. I think that's the most important thing, especially for a role-playing center. You need to be able to protect the rim or at least dissuade opponents from certain shots. Um, and then 
You, the maker, 75. This is a more Morris, Markeith Morris-centric question. Do you see Morris having any real impact on the court this season? He looks painfully slow, and his shot isn't great. If he's not hitting corner threes, does he add any value? Um, I mean, it would really be... It's dependent on how Sharp looks. Like, if he's just not ready defensively at all, I think they will play Morris. I do, Boy, I didn't love Morris against Giannis nor Towns, who, by the way, are like two of the five best bigs in the league, so that's fine, I guess, but... Man, he just like certain certain players j- are just more physically imposing than he can handle, and he and he like even on plays like he got dusted I think once or twice by Carl Towns off the dribble and had to foul, and it's just like dude like if you're gonna be undersized and slower than a guy who's a couple inches taller than you, I don't love it. I do like his his uh, post up kind of mid range game that that's been kind of nice. That's been found money for the Nets. He's bailed out a couple of dead possessions by just hitting stupid shit in the mid-range. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the, the three-point shot is... its We've really only see him, seen him be a three-point threat for one year in a bubble. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty... It's pretty conditional, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um... This is from user Dim1 with everybody healthy. Who do you think should be the starting five? And in a close game, who should be the closing five? Would you run two free throw shooters out there in Clax and Ben? Uh, starting lineup, I'd go with Clax, Ben, Royce, Kyrie, KD. I like the defensive switchability of those four. And then Kyrie can hold his own. Um, so I love that. I think you want to profile as a defensive team because you have enough offensive talent in Kyrie and KD um, to to survive and certainly win those moments or those I guess minutes. Um, the closing five I would go with Bennett center and I'd say if Joe is healthy, I'm putting him next to Kyrie um, and and Royce at the three and, and KD at the four. If he's not healthy, I mean I oh boy I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. Uh, I don't love this this team as much if Joe isn't healthy with a closing lineup with Ben at center. But I guess I go with Seth. God, it makes me a little nauseous to think about Kyrie and, and Seth as your backcourt. That just feels like it's ripe for getting picked on. Um, <laughs> but I think I do that. I think you want to space things out. Because otherwise, it's like you have Ben next to Yuda or Ben next to who's a more realistic option. I, I don't even know. Like, I guess maybe TJ, but I TJ's. I don't know if TJ's going to contribute this year. I guess it would be next to Clax. Do I feel great about having two non-shooters out there that can't shoot free throws at the end of games? No, I feel terrible about that because they're going to get hacked and either one of them's going to have to go to the line. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty grim actually. Uh, <laughs> now that I think about it with the closing five, if, if Joe isn't a hundred percent. So yeah, I, I guess my best answer is Kyrie, Seth, Royce, KD, Ben. And you just pray there's enough defensively. Coaching. Um, this That's this next section. You underscore Dim1 asks, what improvements would you like to see in Nash's coaching? Uh, I mean, I really like what they're doing offensively and defensively. I think they've got a really good staff this year, a lot of smart assistants. They're doing a lot of smart things. So schematically, I don't have a ton of issues with what the Nets are doing thus far. 
Improvements, though, I it's going to come down to rotations. Um, you know, and how quick of a hook does Nash have on the Ben as the solo star lineups? You know, how long do they tinker with that? When it's the playoffs, is he good at sussing out, hey, we have a lineup in here that doesn't have enough shooting? Or, hey, we're playing against the Boston Celtics and we're trying this small ball lineup that I just listed in the closing minutes of a game and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are hunting Seth Curry and Kyrie Irving over and over and over and over. And even if we're like hedging those pick and rolls or whatever, we can't get those guys out of those matchups. Is he going to make the right change in that moment? Um, It just really comes down to his feel for the game, which has varied over the years. Let's be honest. It has varied. And I think he's gotten probably a little bit too much heat about certain things, especially last year. Some of the rotation stuff was like, you know, people be like, oh my God, there's three non-shooters on the floor. And it's like, okay, but like, who are they supposed to put on the floor? (laughs) Like the next guy off the bench is, you know, I don't know, Cam Thomas, who is not an outside shooter. Like, all right, sweet. We're going to change out Bruce Brown for Cam Thomas. It's like that you're, you're not getting a huge jump in shooting. Maybe you might get some creativity, but shooting wise and spacing, you're not getting a lot. So I, I think some of that can be overboard, but there does need to be a quicker hook on things and he just needs to suss things out. So that would be my main thing. You, the maker uh, 75 from Reddit asks, what is the over under on the amount of technicals Steve Nash gets this year? Will he show any fire in what seems like an improved game plan? I, uh, I don't know. I, how many technicals did he get last year? <laughs> I should have prepped for this. Uh, I don't know. I think he's probably in the bottom 10 of technicals received. He's just like not that guy. Like he's not the like rah, rah, I'm going to get really mad about things coach unless it's like Trey Young grifting for fouls. (laughs) Like there's no, we just haven't seen that from him. He's not that guy. He's more of an even keeled type of coach, which I think works with this group for the most part. It's a lot of even keeled guys, which sometimes worries me a little bit. I do feel like there needs to be Somebody who's got that fiery personality to kind of light into the team a little bit. You know, maybe it's Markeith Morris, but is that a good sign that you're, <laughs> what, your 15th man is your rah-rah, you know, I'm going to get everybody fired up on the bench? Probably not, but I think that's kind of the reality with Nash. He's just not that guy. Even as a player, he like never got technical. So I don't know why he would start doing that as a coach. Um... User Carrie Kittles asked, what offensive wrinkles, this is a good question. I put, by the way, I took a lot of notes for this, so get ready. (laughs) This is like a whole paragraph of notes for me here. What offensive wrinkles do you think they can or should implement into the offense to optimize our big three? Ben, uh, this is my notes for Ben. Please short roll more. I love when they use him as a short roller. Like have him screen for KD. Or Kyrie, but especially KD. Because when teams show two to the ball against somebody like KD, and they do that a lot more against KD because he's just frankly more dynamic and, and larger than somebody like Kyrie. Um, I, I like, and I, for, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just like the idea of giving Ben an open floor and a four-on-three advantage to make plays out of. And it solves the problem of defenses sagging off him as you know when he's the ball handler right like when he's the ball handler and you run pick and roll 
The defense is just going to go way, way under that screen. The paint's going to be cramped and he's not going to have any driving room. So if he's short rolling, he's catching it on the move. Um, There isn't a defender that's like 40 feet off of him. He might not have a defender on him at all. And that just forces more rotation. So again, please use Ben as a short roller more. The Nets have the creators. They have the pull-up shooting to actually make this threatening. This is a really good way to use him. Please do it more. That's all I ask. (laughs) Um, For KD, I got to say, man, um, I love how they're using him so far in in this new offense. I, I love that they're having him come off pin downs. I like that they're having him as the recipient and kind of decision maker out of Chicago, which is that pin down into a dribble handoff. It makes so much more sense to use him in that role versus somebody like Joe Harris or Seth Curry. Like that just makes sense. Make your best player, your most dynamic creator in the half court, make him the decision maker from that set. Um, And it's just the first time we've seen him used off ball this much since I think probably the first season with Mike D'Antoni, or I guess which was two years ago. It's the first time I feel like they're using him this much off ball. And it just makes the most sense because that is where he is at his absolute best. I get that he's improved over the years as a pick and roll creator. I understand that. I like him as an off-ball player the most, personally. In terms of things I'm looking for, nothing crazy. Like, I'm always going to be the guy that's going to harp on KD to screen more and screen better. <laughs> um, that That's just going to be something that's going to, I don't want to say bother me, but just be food that's left on the table with KD for me. And it, at this point, I don't think it's going to happen in his career. It just kind of is what it is. But... Let's say they used him as a screener and he and Ben set a screen for Kyrie in double drag, which is the transition sets where it's just like basically double pick and roll. Or they use him and Ben in horns where they're maybe they're screening for Kyrie and then screening for one another in like horns flare or horns twist, whatever, like different variants of horns. Use those two guys as screeners because A, it puts Ben in natural position where he's the roller and KD is popping to three versus how they're running horns right now. It's a lot of Ben and Claxton screening, and then they both roll to the rim. KD at least has the ability to pop. Um, And you could do a bunch of different things. I mean, you could do double drag with KD handling and Ben screening and rolling and Kyrie screening and popping. Like, there's just so much variation you can use with KD in these sets that combine the two other stars on this team. And that's the beauty of having these three guys is that you have a natural roller in Ben and you have two guys in Kyrie and KD that can both set screens and pop and can both make plays as creators. It's cool. So I I just want to see more of that. And a lot of that involves KD actually screening. Um, For Kyrie, more off-ball play. You know, and I I think Kyrie's a great, great off-ball player. Great catch-and-shoot guys. I think he's been well above 40% for a couple years now. Uh, I, I, I want to say he's like 41% as a catch-and-shoot guy in Brooklyn. I know I looked this stat up for an article I did. Um, but, you know, he's a great catch-and-shoot guy. He's a good cutter, too. Great backdoor cutter. I want to see him come off double staggers, which are the two screens on one side of the floor, maybe two pin-down screens, They run that set a lot for KD right now. Let's see Kyrie get that. Or let's see Kyrie come off dribble handoffs, you know, in the corner. Maybe they put Ben Simmons and him on the corner or on on an empty corner on one side of the floor. And Kyrie can either come and receive the dribble handoff 
or he can cut back door to the rim. They do that a lot for KD. Let's see them do that for Kyrie a little bit. Um, or, or, you know, whatever. Like, I just want to see Kyrie on the move a little bit more. I think he's a very good off-ball player. I also think there's food left on the table for him. He's not the same relocation specialist as somebody like Steph. Granted, nobody in the league is like Steph. But I do think there's a chance where he can be 10 to 15% more like Steph. And I and that's kind of what I'm looking for. So it's there's a different there's a bunch of different ways you could utilize that. Just the main macro idea is that um, I want to see I want to see him moving more off ball. Um, and, the, and and granted, like they are doing off ball sets for him. Um, I like that they're running split cuts for Kyrie. So what that is is KD posts up and then Kyrie comes off a screen, either at the top of the key or on the other side of the floor. And he receives the, you know, kind of receives the catch and quickly releases. And he's great at playing in that role. The Warriors run that set a lot. A lot of split cuts for Steph with Draymond posting up and Steph kind of bouncing off different screeners and getting open. So I I like that the Nets are doing that for Kyrie. I think that's a smart set. Other couple random things, and these are like, it's not a must, but I like that they've run Spain pick and roll. For the net, uh, for Kyrie and KD, with KD setting the back screen, though the Nets did that, I think against the Bucks, and he didn't make great contact. And again, this comes back to my like, I just want KD to screen a little bit more and a little bit better, <laughs> like just a little bit more. It's not a huge deal, but it, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I guess that set would make a lot of sense. Uh, you could even use the big three in that way, where Ben is the roller, KD is the back screener, and Kyrie's handling up top. I think that's a cool look. And then actually, you know what? The set that they ran a lot in the first year and a little bit last year, and I got very excited about it. I think they did that back in January of last year, was Scissors. Yes, I always bring up this set, and I love it. It's such a cool play where you have you know, one player standing at the nail or the middle of the free throw line holding on to the ball, and then two players kind of almost at like the half court point, maybe a little bit just at the bottom of the logo. Um kind of splitting, coming together and splitting apart. I put this clip up on my Twitter a thousand times. I want them to do that. I want to see the big three used in that way. So you have Ben at the nail kind of making decisions because he is such a good decision maker. And then you have Kyrie and KD coming together and splitting apart. Yeah, so let's see some some big three scissors. I would go crazy <laughs> if I saw that. I'd probably clip that as fast as humanly possible and throw that directly on Twitter. Like, I love that set. I think that would be so cool to see those three guys using that way. And I sound like such a geek right now. It's actually insane. But yeah, that's, <laughs> I cleared out. That was, wow, that was really NBA nerdy. My goodness. But yeah, so let's see some scissors. Um, at Deantidote 2 are you confident that Igor will bring more variety to the Nets offense without just relying on ISO basketball? I don't know how you see what the Nets have done so far and not think, wow, this is, this is different. Like this looks a lot better. Absolutely confident. Love what they're doing so far. Think a lot of that's from Igor. Nash called him like an offensive genius. It's not the first time anybody's called him that. So I love it. I, they, they have done a really damn good job and I like what he's doing. Last question in the coaching section. It's from Ugg Whatever Man on Reddit, which is an awesome username. Do the Nets have a dedicated shooting coach? If they don't, should they look into hiring one? We've seen the Pelicans have multiple players make a leap in their shooting and have plenty, and the Nets have plenty of youngish players: Claxton, Cam, Kessler, David Duke, Dayron Sharp, who could use refinement. Um, well, I guess in response, I'll ask a question of my own. 
how many shooting coaches are out there that truly move the needle? We know Fred Vinson, that's the Pelicans shooting coach. He's he's legit. Help Lonzo, help Ingram, probably going to help, um, you know, just a bunch of guys on that roster. Like, it, there's a lot of guys that Herb Jones, uh, I would expect to take a leap. Like, that, he's... He's him <laughs> as a shooting coach. Other guys that could move the needle, um, Chip England, who the Thunder just hired, which is an awesome hire, especially when you have somebody like Josh Giddy on that team. Like That's another guy that I think could move the needle. Everybody talked up Kyle Korver last year. Kyle Korver is now in an executive role with Atlanta, so I'm not sure... I'm not sure he was interested in that role. It seems like no. And I'm not sure he was much of a needle mover considering we didn't see a ton of improvement on the Nets roster in terms of shooting. So, I mean, what I'm kind of trying to say is I don't know if that guy exists. I'm sure he does. I'm sure there's somebody out there, but I wouldn't count on it. And I wouldn't count on any of those guys to make giant leaps with their shooting. Kessler Edwards, maybe, because I think there's natural shooting rhythm there and he's showed it in spots. Cam, we'll see. Uh, the mechanics are kind of all over the place. Claxton, I don't think, is going to be a shooter ever. Don't feel great about it. David Duke, who knows? I don't even know if he's going to get a chance on this team. And then Dayron Sharp, maybe. But he's got to be able to do other things first, including play defense. Um, so, yeah, I, in short, I wouldn't say I would expect that to happen. And I don't know if it's like necessarily a priority. You can get one, great, but I wouldn't count on it. Speaking of all those young players, we have three questions on the sophomores. Uh, this is from at M though underscore W based on last season. The rookies ranked Kessler Edwards, Cam, David Dujon Jr. Sharp. How would you rank them now? Damn, this is a fun question. Um, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to go Cam Thomas first. Yeah, I'm going to go Cam Thomas first. I, I mean, look, it's been a mixed preseason for him, but... The potential is there, and I think you're starting to see glimpses of his passing vision improving. Uh, my guy Mark Light on Twitter did a really good thread on him, uh, just kind of Cam and his process improving. So Cam, I'd go number one. I go Sharp number two, which is crazy. I was never high on Sharp, and I'm still not like especially high on him. I think he's a backup center. That's what he kind of finishes out as as a player. But um, I, I've kind of liked a little bit of what he's done in the preseason. Just the defense coming along has been refreshing. And it sounds like just talking to him this week, he's starting to understand what's asked of him on that side of the ball a little bit more. And he's just becoming a little bit more familiar with schemes and it's showing in his play. So yeah, I think I'm going to go sharp number two. I believe in Kessler Edwards. I do. I think Kessler Edwards can be the second best player of this group. I still believe in Cam a lot. Um, but I, I think Kess is going to be a real player somewhere. I don't know if it's going to happen in Brooklyn. I just, he's got so much size for his position. He's a really good defender. And man, if he can just kind of regain that confidence in his jumper, which has historically been good, I do buy him as being a real three and D threat. Again, I don't know if it'll happen in Brooklyn. There's a world where he's still probably, I mean, I don't know what probably there's a world where he is a really good chance of being the best player with of this group, but I don't know if it happens in Brooklyn. And then David Duke Jr., I, I just don't know. I mean, it's he's very theoretical to me. So I'm going to put him last. Uh, user uh, underscore dim one from Reddit. 
Do you think that Cam has it in him to change up his game from ISO score, or is that just who he is? It looks like he needs the ball in his hands to get a rhythm, and I'm not sure he's going to get much of an opportunity to do that with a healthy squad. Um, Change up his game. No, I mean, that's always going to be where he's at his best. You know, and I think the floater game and getting to the rim, hopefully, uh, is kind of the fulcrum of what he does. But, yeah, I think the passing can come along. He's not a natural passer, but there have been guys before that have improved that. Devin Booker is a great example. I'm not saying he's going to get there, but it's just an example of a guy that's improved his passing vision over the years. Uh, Zach Levine has improved his passing vision over the years. Again, not a natural passer, but he's gotten to be passable, I think is probably a good way to put it. But, um, yeah, I think that'll be kind of the big thing in terms of needing the ball in his hands to get a rhythm. I like him as a second side guy already. You know, if he gets the ball on the move, you know, where Kyrie or Katie's running pick and roll on one side of the floor and they kick it to, to Cam on the skip pass, Cam's pretty good at attacking and getting into that 12-foot range and getting a floater or a short-range jumper off. That's pretty easy for him. Coming off handoffs... I feel okay about it. It really just comes down to the development of his three-point shot, where if defenses are A, going to respect him as a catch-and-shoot guy, that gives him the ability to play with the stars. And if he's playing, you know, with one of the stars or zero of the stars and they're running him off dribble handoffs or pick-and-rolls, he needs to be able to have a reliable pull-up three. He just does, because otherwise defenses are going to sag off that and you're going to run into these possessions where the paint is super crowded, you know, because teams are just going under those pick and rolls, and, and he can't really do anything with that. So it's kind of very reductive analysis, but the three needs to happen for him. Um, and if it doesn't, I don't know how he's able to play with Kyrie and KD. The only other way I could see him really succeeding is if the Nets continue to roll with these Ben Simmons solo star minutes. And then I actually really like Cam because he's at least, uh, like he's your closest thing to a creator <laughs> on the floor. You know, if it's him and Seth sharing the floor, I don't love that defensively, but at least you have two guys that can like create in different ways. Seth is more of a pull-up three or two dribble pull-up guy. And Cam is like, we're going to get into the paint. I can't really do anything from the outside, but I can at least get to that 10 foot range and do cool floaters and those, you know, whatever, short-range jumpers and maybe draw contact at the rim. So you kind of, if you combine both players, you get something really interesting. So I guess that would be the only way I could see that happening. And then you, the maker, uh, 75, says, will Cam be contributing by season's end, getting consistent 20-plus minutes, or is he going to uh, fall by the wakes, fall by the wayside like last season? Oh, boy. Um <sighs> I think probably more likely going to not be a part of the rotation, personally. And I'm not even sure he'll be a net by the end of the year. I'll put it like that. Because he's their most attractive young player, which matters if you're trying to get somebody like Miles Turner. And there will be teams that want him. and you, Or you could even trade him for a first and then use that first in a deal to get somebody like Miles Turner. You have multiple firsts in that way. Um, and I just, you know... I mean, if the three-point shot doesn't develop, I just don't know how he's supposed to succeed next to Kyrie and KD because you need him to be effective off-ball. So that's kind of where I'm at. 20-plus minutes feels really, really heavy, and I just don't know if we can get there. Uh, random questions. Got two about Nick Claxton, one from underscore A-tech, A-T-E-C underscore L-J. Is Nick Claxton making the big leap? 
What's the big leap exactly? Like, is that just above average starter? I, I don't think he's going to be a star. I think the offense is just too far away from that. And I don't even think he'll get the reps to do that. So is the big leap like an above average starter? Totally. Yeah, I think he can do that. Um, I, I, I And I think the next question will answer why. But yeah, I mean, if that's his big leap, great. Yeah, he could be an above average starter and like a real playoff guy. Um, and here's why. User Paris Java, this is... Uh, this is a good question. Uh, what aspects of his game do you think Claxton has improved after watching him in the preseason? He seems stronger and more comfortable and dropped to me. Paris Java, you have a good eye. Um, I agree on both counts. The strength is huge for him. It just allows him to play against a bunch of different matchups and be successful in that way and not just be like a big wing because that's kind of what he was last year. You just sort of have him switch and snuff out ball handlers and maybe wings. Um, but he just wasn't effective against, you know, more traditional centers. Now I think he at least has a chance because of that seven foot two wingspan and added size. And I I think the comfortability and drop is a great point. And that's what I was going to bring up. And that might be what his leap is this year is just, he looks a lot more just adjusted to playing in different defensive schemes and pick and roll, um, tracking the ball handler and the roll man in drop move kind of backtracking that in that way and keeping track of multiple things versus when he's switching, he's just keeping track of the ball handler. Like it's just, it's that processing multiple things that has really taken the leap for me at least so far. And a lot of that just happens in drop. So I like that. Um, I think that's a great point. And if you can use him in multiple schemes, he is so much more valuable. He's not just a situational center. He's not just a matchup dependent center. He's a guy that can play against multiple different teams with multiple different looks and multiple different star players. That is huge. So yes, I think that's very important. You, the Maker 75, will Kai be in the 50, uh, 40, 90 club again? Uh, boy, I mean, that's very hard to do. <laughs> very, very hard to do. So you know, the, whatever, the, the statistician, I'm not a statistician, that's not the word I'm looking for, (laughs) the betting man in me, I'm not a betting man either, um, says that that's probably not going to happen, I have said that I think he can make second team all NBA, so maybe he sniffs those marks, but that's really damn hard to do, that's just really damn hard to do, um, so I'll say no, but I think he could be close, and then you the maker, 75 asks another question, this time about the other member of 7-Eleven. Durant has been a very willing passer in the preseason. Do you see him continuing to facilitate or does he fall back into iso ball? Durant is terrible when he gets the ball five feet outside of the three-point line and attempts to drive as the teams collapse on him and he turns it over. Nets need to get him in the ball in better spots. Yeah, I agree on all counts. Um, I, I think that what you're describing with getting the ball five feet outside of the three-point line is what we saw against the Celtics. Um, they bet on his inability to make plays out of double teams. And Durant, who has been really good against double teams and, and pick-and-roll traps, um, was not able to do that. Um, so I think this year the Nets are being smarter. As I mentioned before, they're using him off ball more. They're having him come off pin downs. They're having him come off um, Chicago sets. So I think that's a good way to get him that, um, you know, and, and if they can just vary the amount that he's handling the ball coming down, you know, coming off pin downs and triple handoffs and whatever, and then also posting up, that's the best way to use him 
Just diversify his looks. Make the defense have to process multiple things and, you know, have different coverages for Durant in different spots. All those things require uh, different things of defenders. So that's a good way to do that. Um, And then what was the first part of this? I thought this was interesting. Oh, yeah. Do you see him continuing to facilitate? Yeah, I agree. Also, his passing has been awesome in the preseason. Some of the skip passes he's hit have been great. He's looked pretty good making passes to the roller. He's had a couple nice passes to Nick Claxton. He's just looked very, very comfortable in this motion-heavy offense, which isn't a surprise considering he played in Golden State and was just awesome in that system. I think the thing that'll happen for me and what I see is, do I worry about him falling back into iso ball? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it kind of depends on if they go into a skid. If the Nets... Maybe some of that motion offense gets slowed down, whether it's injury or just playing a bad stretch of opponents that are more suited to defending that style of offense, you know, multiple switching defenses in a row. That would be where I'd worry about it. And I think it would kind of play out like, (laughs) oh, I think the Lakers season's going to go where LeBron's going to sort of take a back seat and say, yeah, like, I'll let Russ cook. I'll let AD cook. But if things get ugly, he's like, I'm going to get... I'm just give me the damn ball and get out of the way. Like, I could see that happening a little bit with Durant just because of how tumultuous the summer has been uh, with him calling for Steve Nash's job, essentially. If things aren't going as well, if the movement offense slows down, I could see him being like, all right, like, screw this. Give me the ball. Like, I'm going to try to save the team here. And I think that would actually hurt the Nets long term, even though he is obviously great in isolation. So that would be the only way I see that going. It just depends on how his team performs. Couple more. We're getting we're getting to the finish line. Uh, we've kind of breezed through this a little bit faster than the last mailbag episode, which I'm going to take as a dub. You user underscore user backslash Terry Kittles on Reddit asks if healthy, which one of Harris O'Neill Curry will be the most impactful for us? I'm gonna go with Royce O'Neill. As I said before, he's more dynamic than Joe Harris. Um, think he could stay on the floor against more teams, unlike Seth Curry. So. I think he's just the best option of those three. I'm also going to bring up the health thing. I have no idea if Joe Harris is health, healthy this year, and I don't know if you can rely on him to be that guy just because of all of the you know, foot soreness we're already seeing and the two ankle surgeries. I'm just a little bit... My expectations with Joe are very tempered. And then Curry, I mean, I think we know what we're getting from Seth Curry. He's just like going to be a better version of Patty Mills, which is all you need, by the way. Um... Uh, so, but yeah, I think I think O'Neal is probably your most reliable contributor. At KD Lova Seven asks, "Do we have enough guard point of attack defenders after Royce Ben KD?" Um, I mean, I'll answer it like this: I think Royce and Ben are great. Especially Ben is awesome at getting around screens, especially if you're playing all the drop that the Nets are playing, uh, and and against most players. That looks really good. Royce is the same way. We saw him look really, really good against Drew Holiday, which again, I like that Bucks matchup because the Nets profile better. Royce looks really good against a Drew Holiday. Royce is going to look pretty good. Well, I shudder a little bit saying Luka because Luka cooked him in the playoffs last year, but he could look good in that matchup or you put Ben on him. Uh, that's probably more likely what you do. So I, I like Royce in point of attack against the more jumbo-sized creators. I will say... And I said it on the last podcast. I've written this before. I don't love the Nets against really quick guards. Trey Young, Darius Garland, 
uh, who else? Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, Tyrese Maxey. Those type of players, I'm a little queasy about. Because Royce and Ben, for as good as they are defensively, especially Ben, their weaknesses are smaller, quicker players. And I am just going to keep an eye on that with certain teams. So Cleveland could be a bad matchup for that reason, offensively at least. Offensively, because they have two guys that can get by both of the Nets' best defenders. Philly, depending on how Maxi comes along this year, could be a bad matchup. Depends how many touches Maxi gets, which was not a lot in the first game, but that could be a bad matchup because he's just a lot quicker than anybody the Nets are going to throw at him on the point of attack. And that's where you miss somebody like Bruce Brown, who was quick. He was great at chopping up his footwork about getting around screens. He was great in that role. Um, I think that's probably the only main hole for the Nets defensively, other than guarding like those bruising Joel Embiid centers. And in those matchups, you're just sending help and you're letting, I don't know, I don't know, Tobias Harris take corner threes. You know, like we're going to live with that. Um, so I think that's probably what you're looking at. User TD89Knights asks, who do you see having a breakout season this year? This one's tough for me because like the Nets don't really have anybody who's going to break out. Like is, I don't even know who that would be. Like would it be Edmund Sumner? I don't know. Like there aren't really any young players that I see cracking the rotation. I mean, the default answer I think is Cam Thomas if the three-point shot comes along. But as I mentioned, I don't feel great about that. Mechanically, there doesn't seem to be a ton different from him. Uh, he hasn't looked super comfortable in catch and shoots. It's yes, it's the preseason, but you know, I I don't I don't know. I don't know if there's gonna be that guy for the Nets this year. Like Claxton, I guess would be the other one. Claxton is just gonna be an above average starter. I don't know if that guy exists. So I guess Cam, but after that, I don't know. Uh, user Cobra user Cobra from Reddit. Um, asks, is Patty Mills an essential member of this team? I'm trying not to make the joke. I'm going to try not to make the joke. It's The front office seems to view him that way. <laughs> and um, I, I, I'm sh- I think culturally it's real. I do think he helps in that way. But <laughs> the production on the floor has not been great so far. And it has not been great since they ran him into the ground last year, and it was not his fault, as a starter. And played him the most minutes he's played ever at, what, age 32, 33? Um, no, he's older. How old is Patty Mills? Jesus. I'm going to look this up on the on the fly. We're almost at the end here. Basically, he's 30. Okay, so he was 33 last year playing a career high in minutes. <laughs> so... Ever since then, the second half of last year, there has been a decrease in production from Patty Mills that I don't think has come back. Again, it's very early. But if he's playing, and he has to play because of injuries to Seth and to to Joe Harris and TJ Warren, I am a little worried. It's not going to sink the Nets, but it also puts them in a position where they have to play him because they need his outside shooting. And if he can't do anything other than take standstill threes or maybe the occasional relocation three, I think the Nets are in a lot of trouble because he's, even his relocation threes, he's not getting the same lift on his jumper that he got even in San Antonio, what, two years ago? 
It just doesn't feel like it's there. He feels a step slower to me. Defensively, he's an absolute traffic cone. He's too small to guard most players. And now he's getting dusted off the dribble, which is really troubling. So he's now combining like a lack of speed with a lack of size. It's not good. And then we know what he can do as a creator. Not much. If he gets run off the line, it doesn't go anywhere. You run pick and roll from him. It's probably going to be a long contested two. He's not a good passer. I don't think I've seen him make more than eight. <laughs> that feels even high. Eight, you know, bounce passes or, or, you know, passes to the roller in pick and roll. It's just like he's not, he doesn't do much outside of take catch and shoots now. So is he essential? Maybe off the court, but if, if he's essential for you on the court because of injuries, that's a weak spot in the rotation. And I'm not going to say the Nets are doomed, but I get a little queasy about that. User ATEC. Uh, underscore LJ asks, has there been a noticeable change in atmosphere atmosphere, or maybe the dreaded word culture in the Nets team compared to last year? I like this question because I wanted to tweet something about it or write something about it. It's preseason and it's been training camp and it's media and we've seen media day. That have been, that's where we're at right now in the season when I'm recording. So this is probably the most hospitable part of the year Vibes are good. There's no losing streak yet. You know, it's a new team. Everybody's coming off a big break. People are refreshed. So I understand all that, right? But I will say, there is a sense of humility with this Nets group that comes from a variety of things. It comes from getting the shit kicked out of them by Boston last year. And yeah, we can say whatever. We can point to the point differential. I don't care. They got swept, all right? Let's be real. (laughs) Um... There is a sense of humility from the top down, from one player making a trade request and not being able to go to any of the teams he wanted to go to, to the other star in Kyrie being basically told, hey, if you can go find us a a sign and trade partner that gets us something we want back in return, you can go to that team. And that's what the Nets basically did with Kyrie is they said, yeah, sure, get us an asset back and you can get out of here. And... Kyrie and his camp were not able to do that, which he partially addressed in media day. I think that was a very humbling experience. Ben Simmons has had a multitude of things happen to him after the after the last you know year and a half, two years that have been very humbling for him. There's just a lot of ego that I think has been chipped away with this team that even in the way they're playing with how holistic it is, how involved everybody is, you know, everybody is in this new scheme. Uh, it just feels like I don't know. It just feels a little bit frictionless is probably the word I'm looking for. But also just there's a sense of cohesiveness and again, humility with this group. And I think it it shows up in how they're playing. It shows up in how they're looking at the season. It seems like they're trying to take the regular season more seriously. And that might be a top-down thing from management and coaching. I just feel like things are off on the right track. There are... (laughs) A million things that can go wrong, so I don't know if I'm going to feel this way the whole year. But for now, yeah, I do think there is a change in atmosphere. Culture, (laughs) maybe. I just think the word I think of right now is humility. I'm going to keep coming back to that. And that's what you need for this group. You need there to be no egos, at least from the start. You'll need egos in certain places, but right now, there needs to be no egos. And I think we're getting that. And And I want to give like Kyrie Irving... A real shout out. I think Kyrie is really, really putting 110% of himself 
into this season. He's, I mean, I do buy the stuff about him being a really, really good leader by example. I'm not sure how vocal he is, but I do buy the stuff that he's being a really good leader by example. And I love that he's trying to be a model for the young players. He's seems to be in a really good place just in terms of where he is as a player right now, but also just in terms of leadership. Like I've been, I've been very impressed with, you know, I mean, again, I'm gathering stuff from quotes and from seeing little things at practice, but I've just been impressed by his mindset this year. He seems very locked in. So yeah, I think that's, I, I feel good. I feel good for now. User Carrie Kittles asks, record prediction for our first 15 to 20 games. Whew, uh, tough slate, right? Like I, I, I counted this out a little bit earlier. There's, I think, 10 teams that were above 500 last year, maybe maybe a little bit less, um, maybe, a, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but it's, it's around that, right? So there's a world where they go 500. I think there'll be a couple games above 500. I think they'll be hovering around like third or fourth in the conference, maybe fifth. Um, I, I do think they'll win more games than they lose. I think hopefully they take care of opponents that they should beat. And I, there will be games where they're going to beat, you know, the Grizzlies. I think they have two games against the Grizzlies early on. Let's say they split that. All of a sudden, you're in pretty decent shape as a team. And now you are trending above 500. Um, you know, there's certain, like the Bucks. I could see them beating the Bucks out the gate. I think that's a good matchup for them. So, yeah, I think overall... Um, I do see this team getting off to a good start. I would not be shocked if they're like first or second in the conference. This feels like a team right now that everybody's healthy. Everybody's on the same page. Seems like things are going well. I like the systems in place. Um, From a leadership perspective, there seems to be a lot of accountability so far. So I do see this team getting off to a good start. It's just all about can they stay healthy? Can the vibe stay good over the course of the season? But this is the easy part of the year, man. This is the part of the year where everybody's fresh. Nobody's worn out from the schedule. Nobody's looking at the postseason saying, damn, I wish we could just be there. You know, this is where this is where there's the most enthusiasm. And I think that's really going to help the Nets out the gate because that's the way it's always been. It's been those lulls of the year are what really seems to break this team. But for now, yeah, I, I feel good. I think they're going to get off to a good start. So record prediction, maybe two or three games above 500. So uh, that's all I got. That was good. Um First off, thank you to everybody again for asking questions. Everybody on Reddit, everybody on Twitter. I will tag you all so you can see that your question has been answered. Um, and I hope to do one of these sooner than later. I think we'll have a lot to talk about in the first month. So maybe I'll do one then. We'll have a very good idea of what this team looks like. A good slate of games in terms of challenging matchups to learn from. And yeah, if you enjoyed this, go ahead, follow me on Twitter. I'll be doing whole bunch of breakdown stuff, threads, articles, videos. I'm trying to be more organized with my Twitter this year. So it's not just like random, whatever, like threads just thrown out randomly and, and, uh, and articles thrown out. I'm trying to just organize my stuff a little bit better so you can find it and, and enjoy what I've been putting together. Um, and I'm just doing different things this year. You know, even my threads, I'm starting to do a little bit more of like voiceover stuff where I break down longer plays with a voiceover, uh, kind of similar to my videos, but a little bit looser and not so edited. So yeah, I'm, you know, just trying to do what I do always, but add different things to it. That's what this is about is growing and improving and honing what I do well. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed, go ahead and check us out on Apple podcasts 
or Spotify, the Clear Out Podcast. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.